We start by going back to the 1990s with Namor Visionaries John Byrne Volume 2. Then all the way back to the Golden Age with a look at a hero of the public domain. And then we find out what happens when the Titans are broken up in Titans Volume 4, Titans Apart. And then Detective Comics Volume 6, Fall of the Batman, straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. In 1990, famed comic book writer John Byrne started a new series based on Namor the Submariner. And this was the first uh, monthly series that Namor had had since the 1970s. I think he'd had a mini-series in the 80s that may have been like four issues. Marvel published this uh, under a series of Namor visionaries, uh, John Byrne. First trade, which collected the first nine issues, didn't really impress me much. I didn't think the stories were bad, but they weren't particularly good. And they didn't really seem to me to fit Namor. As in the wake of the Atlantis attacks event, Atlantis isn't really uh, a thing. And he's taken some undersea treasure and bought up a corporation that will in turn buy interest in other corporations in order to stop those corporations from polluting. While an evil brother and sister scheme to uh, ruin Namor, and there was this somewhat grotesque plot about uh, a guy who collected debts by actually having heads, human heads on his wall. It was kind of weird and again didn't really suit Namor. So I thought I would probably eventually pick this up to see if it got any better, but wasn't really uh, enthused about it. But then Marvel had their 99 cent ebook special, and so I figured, what the heck, and I picked up Namor Visionaries Volume 2. And I'm really glad I did, because this is way better. It collects issues 10 through 18 of uh, the 1990 to 1996 uh, Namor series. Now, the first three issues are the invaders fight again. And this is a case where what's going on in the real world and what's going on in uh, the comics collide. In 1989, the Berlin Wall fell, and you had the reunification of Germany uh, as the Cold War came to an end. However, as someone who fought in World War II, Namor is not enamored of a united Germany. Sees a potential threat in there, as does Captain America. But Namor goes off to Germany to investigate, along with his cousin Namorita, because Namor fears that Masterman has returned. Now here I'll offer some backstory. During the Bronze Age of comics during the 1970s, writer Roy Thomas created a series featuring Captain America, Namor, and the Human Torch 
fighting on a superhero team during the war against the Nazis. The team was known as the Invaders. And that 70s series is one of my favorite uh, runs of comics ever. This revisits that. As Namor gets to Berlin, he leaves Namorita and goes out and does some investigating and runs right into Masterman, who is acting as part of a Nazi plan that has been in place since the end of the war, just waiting for reunification. As new Nazis and old Nazis join forces uh, to unleash an evil plan with Masterman and his wife, Warrior Woman, at the head of this new effort. Namor comes in, but he is captured, and the original Human Torch has also been captured in hopes that his uh, artificial blood could provide a transfusion to Warrior Woman, who has not weathered the process of being in suspended animation as well as her husband. And Namor is held inside this machine that is sucking the moisture out of his body, which, given Namor's power set, really does make him weak. And so Namor's in dire straits, and it's going to call for Namor getting some help from some old friends. And this is just a great story that brings the original invaders together. Namorita becomes worried about Namor and actually goes and gets help from uh, Spitfire, uh, who was the sister of one of the uh, invaders named Union Jack, who received superpowers when she received a transfusion of the artificial blood of the Human Torch. The original Human Torch, Jim Hammond. And I won't go into all the details, but it's just a wonderful story. A lot of great actions, a great fight scene, and just a wonderful entrance by Captain America. Uh, this was just the highlight of the book for me. Uh, next we get into uh, The Trial of the Submariner, and it's the first of a couple of one-shot issues in the book. And essentially, the Submariner is made to answer for a lot of his crimes and erratic behavior uh, during the Silver Age. And so you get uh, kind of like a modern re-examination of a lot of these uh, events where, like, the uh, Submariner had... Uh, a sea monster attack uh, New York City. And uh, so he has to answer for all of the insane things he's done. And uh, it should probably not be a big surprise that uh, they go ahead and they plead uh, temporary insanity, that there was something uh, wrong with his mind that made him act uh, up that way. I think it's a good idea to address it, uh, particularly when you're in the Marvel Universe and essentially everything that's, you know, ever happened in a Marvel comic is in canon. You know, in the DC Universe, their gold and silver age uh, has pretty much, you know, been wiped out by events like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, so uh, essentially you can just, you know, revise events and 
uh, get away with it. But here you do have to justify it. And if you want Namor to be running a corporation, and eventually he'd become a member of the Avengers, I think he may even have been at this point, then you need to address the fact that he was trying to take over the world and having a, a sea monster try and uh, take uh, take down the Fantastic Four and destroy New York City. They did have a weird part where Thor was uncomfortable taking an oath uh, on the Bible to testify in court, um, where acting like that was some, you know, uh, thing that was actually required when it's a ceremonial part of the oath that isn't actually required uh, by the court like it'd be something to be waived or to have some controversy about. But overall, the story works pretty well. It recaps a lot, and it ends up with uh, Namor essentially being found to have been... They they say that he was found guilty, but uh, insane. I think we would technically say in American parlance that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. And as such, he's uh, put on probation and Captain America is made his probation officer. And that is a good way to really set things up for Namor to be able to have a life and be a hero in the Marvel Universe uh, without just totally ignoring all of the stuff that he did, which would really be an encumbrance uh, even many, many years later. Uh, Then we have uh, A Child is Waiting is the next story, and it focuses on Phoebe Mars. And in the first uh, volume of the uh, Namor Visionaries John Byrne uh, series, uh, she was a lot like a femme fatale, just trying to seduce Namor for the Mars's uh, evil ends. And I think that they, that Byrne changed that as they went along, because first of all, she really started to like Namor, really started to fall in love with him. And uh, it also is revealed that uh, Phoebe has really been, like, emotionally abused and pushed around by her older brother, who's even gotten uh, physically abusive, which makes her, you know, a lot more sympathetic character and makes the book a lot more interesting. And uh, she actually takes Namor out to... Uh, a place in the country to meet a boy who is uh, mentally uh, challenged, we'd say today, uh, who's her son. And uh, she had made some decisions that she was going to uh, get married and to someone who the family wouldn't approve of. And essentially Desmond, you know, just kind of, you know, manipulated things and uh, ended, so that she ended up back under his thumb. And she keeps the uh, the son, you know, in the country at this place. And Namor is there, and it's really kind of interesting because Namor's like, why are you telling me all this? 
And it seems like he's having trouble grasping that she is falling for him. He's just kind of like, okay, well, this is, sounds like this was bad for you, but what is this to do with me? Uh, and in the middle of this, of course, because this is a superhero comic and it's the 90s, a griffin shows up to fight Namor. Uh, and they fought a little, but then it, it turns out the Griffins, that there was some confusion, and the Griffin didn't really want to fight anymore. It was here to, um, uh, here to bring him back to Atlantis. And finally, Phoebe, at the end of the issue, does reveal her true intent, and that she's, you know, fallen for Namor. Uh, which brings us to the final story in the book. It's a four-issue story. It's Into the Savage Land. And Namor, you know, in the midst of this, he gets word that Lady Dorma is alive. Now, Lady Dorma uh, was married uh, to Namor, and then he saw her die right before his eyes. Now, before Namor goes, he goes to talk to Captain America, uh, about the fact that he he's going to Atlantis. And Captain America explains, you know, I don't know if I can get uh, this swung where you can, so that you can travel out of the country to Atlantis. And Namor says, well, I wasn't coming to ask you permission. I was just coming to tell you that I'm going. And he asked him to take care of his griffin. And maybe Namor has to work a little bit on understanding this whole concept of being on probation. At any rate, so he goes to Atlantis, and he's really very vague with Phoebe on the details of why he's going. And he goes there, and he meets this Dorma, and he is not really sure if it's really her. We're not given any reason why Namor might be doubting this other than the fact that he saw her die. But he does receive word that the temperature in Atlantis uh, has been rising. And uh, they're able to trace the potential source of this rising temperature, which threatens the uh, uh, survivors in Atlantis um, to the savage land. So he goes there and he faces... Uh, Iron Fist, apparently. And I guess I have to back up here. Uh, because this is something that the book has been dealing with since the first uh, volume. Uh, at this point, Iron Fist, Danny Rand, is, uh, has been dead. But he started showing up in the first volume of the series. And I think one thing that I found frustrating about that first book is it kept cutting away to this, but it didn't actually connect back to Namor. It does connect here. I don't think that justifies all the buildup in the uh, uh, comic book, uh, because essentially you know, uh, Danny Rand, uh, Iron Fist, is not a natural part of the Namor mythos or his uh, character base. And so you don't go on for, you know, a dozen issues to build up this uh, potential storyline. I think you could, you know, have tease it out for three or four issues. But this went on way too long. What we did learn, though, in some of those issues is that uh, Danny's uh, girlfriend, uh, Detective Misty Knight, 
uh, investigated uh, whether Danny Rand was really back, actually had the uh, casket exhumed, and did not find him in there. So Misty Knight is convinced that this is Danny Rand, even though he's not really acting like uh, Danny at all. And uh, so at the same time, you also have, uh, I guess, an additional subplot where Namor left the country, and because he's feeling very fond towards uh, Phoebe Mars, he leaves Desmond Mars in charge of his corporation, which shows a um, lack of understanding of how this uh, is uh, supposed how this is supposed to work, and how this turns out is not addressed. But it seems like you know if you have a corporation, you have other officers who can step in without turning to people who run other corporations. And at the same time, while Namor is in the Savage Land, uh, you have Kazar at the UN, Kazar, uh, Lord Kevin Plunder, uh, where the UN is debating whether they can intervene in the Savage Land. This doesn't tie into the story, and it's kind of, is another loose thread. What does happen, though is that Namor does get to the Savage Land, and he's initially beaten and imprisoned by Danny Rand, who turns out not to be the actual real Danny Rand, but a long-time Marvel supervillain. And this one does build, uh, over the course of this four issues, into a really nice reveal, a nice battle, a good twist at the end, despite a lot of these dangling uh, plot threads and little diversions that don't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, but still, I really did enjoy this book. Uh, there is uh, at least another volume's worth of John Byrne uh, Namor comics out there, and I really hope they get out there, not only so I can see how uh, some of this stuff gets resolved, just because I really was enjoying the story. So I will give Namor Visionaries John Byrne Volume 2 a rating of classy. Now it's time for that feature... Heroes of the Public Domain. And we haven't done one of these in a while, and I apologize, and I'll try and make it sooner, uh, with probably another episode or two when we get to another Hero of the Public Domain. But we have another character from Centaur Publishing, and it is Fireman. Fireman appeared in Liberty Scouts issues 2 and 3, and Man of War Comics issues 1 and 2. One of his stories was also reprinted in Liberty Guard Comics, uh, but that's just the same story as it was in Man of War number 1. So, uh, essentially, where we start out in Liberty Scouts number 2 is that uh, Jim is a firefighter at a uh, CCC camp, uh, which was uh, something set up uh, during the Depression, the Civilian Conservation Corps. And he's stationed in Utah, and there have been a lot of fires happening and firemen disappearing in the course of this. Well, there's a fire. He goes out, and he sees that uh, woman in distress, and he runs into the fire to rescue her and is captured by what the comic describes as a thing. 
which looks a lot like a guy in the su- uh, suit, which turns out to actually be a guy in the suit, a muscular named Gaston. So he is captured and he is brought in to a mad scientist. The mad scientist experiments on Jim and puts him in a tube and lights him on fire in a way that turns his body into a solid gas. They take Jim out of this uh, tank and they put him on the ground and Gaston is holding him to the ground and Jim says, stop holding me down, let me go. And so Gaston lets him go and Jim floats up into the air with uh, a couple well-placed uh, uh, bits of smoke keeping this comic safe for kids. And so showing Jim that uh, he will float off, the mad scientist gives Jim a costume which, once it's put on, um, allows Jim to be able to control his flight and not automatically go floating off for some reason. Because the mad scientist explains that Jim's body has been turned into carbon monoxide and other gases. However, his brain is still alive somehow. And Jim responds by turning on the scientist who uh, messed with his life and also killed a bunch of other firefighters since Jim was the first one to make it through the uh, uh, experiment. The scientist actually tries to shoot at Jim, not considering that now that he's solid gas, he's kind of uh, not uh, susceptible to bullets. And uh, Jim is going to get rid of the scientist. However, the uh, woman who stumbled into the forest is actually the mad scientist's niece and begs Jim not to uh, kill him. And so Jim uh, relents and uh, is going to walk away. However, the scientist uses a handy scoop to capture Jim and throw him into a chemical tank, uh, which Jim actually ignites Uh, because now he has the ability to control fire. And this actually gives Jim a whole slew of other powers. So as Fireman, uh, he is able to uh, uh, control fires, uh, start fires, stop fires by touching them. He can fly, and he has super strength. And And the uncle does end up getting killed in the course of this, uh, through his own uh, fault, and we never actually find out what the mad scientist wanted. And obviously, this scientist was particularly mad, as essentially he gives a guy superpowers and has no way to control him, but somehow expects the guy to do his bidding. So a bit daft as well as mad. Uh, so that leads us to issue number three, in which we meet a woman named Nancy, who's by the road and her car broke down. Now, a truck driver stops and gives Nancy a ride, but says nothing as he just continues to drive down the road. However, Nancy becomes alarmed when the driver just serenely drives off the side of a cliff. Uh, Nancy decides to jump for it and gets really fortunate and is able to catch hold of a tree limb as the truck uh, careens down, killing the driver. Nancy goes to the house of Fireman, 
And Fireman is wearing the red costume the mad scientist gave him with a hood which kind of looks a little bit like Captain America's cowl uh, with the wing ears. Only the wings are more pronounced. Uh, I think that's it's more of a fast food hat um, than a superhero hat with the size of those wings. So not the best design thing. But on hearing the, uh, Nancy's report, Fireman says that they've had this happening a few times. And this is actually the third truck that's gone uh, exploding. And Nancy offers to help uh, to uh, make sure uh, what's going on. And so she hitches a ride on yet another truck uh, with another driver who uh, proceeds to crash the truck into a bank. Fireman goes to the bank to investigate and is informed that the bank president called in sick and actually lives 40 miles away. And from these two facts, uh, Fireman concludes that the bank president is behind everything because this is a very short story and we just need to resolve it. It doesn't have to make sense, apparently. The bank president, actually, when Fireman confronts him at his home, and the bank president's actually dressed up in a suit and sitting behind his desk and invites Fireman to search the premises, which Fireman does and finds nothing. And they go outside where the bank president stands and Fireman's about to leave. However, the bank president lights a cigar and drops the match, which ignites the ground because... There is what they call super gasoline. That's why this stuff is exploding, is this very highly potent gasoline uh, is under the ground. And this uh, leads Fireman to the discovery that there was some cliff area that just looked like an actual cliff. But it wasn't an actual cliff. It was a canvas painted to look like a cliff where Fireman finds uh, some hypnotized men who he defeats. And he, uh, the man who had them under their control, uh, who had ordered them to uh, fight Fireman, plans to kill Fireman by dropping a match into a tank of super gasoline, which exploded. But you're not going to kill Fireman with fire. And uh, he emerges with an iron box that proves that the Nazis were behind the whole thing. Fireman confronts the bank president, who falls to his death because of something behind him. A little confused by the art on this. But Fireman says that no American regrets it because he had sold out his country to the Nazis. Now, I laugh at this because this is just a ludicrous story, even by Golden Age standards. I mean, these drivers are under hypnosis, but apparently they'll stop to pick up passengers? And the painted canvas thing? Okay, we're moving on to Man of War number one. And essentially, there are a series of... uh, fires in the city, which Fireman is just able to extinguish. Uh, And uh, it's declared in here that Fireman got his powers by accident. I wouldn't exactly say that, although the mad scientist's work was a bit haphazard, though I don't think all of his powers were intended. 
But at any rate, uh, he spots a hostess at the scene of the one of the fires and concludes that she knows something because we've only got eight pages to tell the story. And he notices that the hostess looks exactly out of Nancy, and uh, so Fireman kidnaps her and apparently secures the hostess somehow and has Nancy take her place. So Fireman goes on the airplane along with Nancy, who's uh, pretending to be the flight attendant, and the uh, fireman is dressed in a fantastic red checkered suit, green hat, and a really weird looking glasses slash mask. Uh, it's kind of weird because I'm kind of like, okay, if you're going to travel incognito, you need to wear a better disguise than this. I mean, he might as well be riding the plane in his outfit, as odd as he looks. Although, I do like the look. Uh, it's just not a very good way to blend in. And, of course, going back to Liberty Scouts number two, and this is only three issues ago, uh, it was established that he would float off without his costume. But whether uh, being dipped into that vat of chemicals that he set on fire uh, changed that, I don't know. But uh, anyway, as the plane goes in, he's drugged, and two strangers uh, lower a window in the cabin, which would depressurize it, uh, with a small object in their hand. And Nancy takes on the two thugs herself uh, until the pilot emerges and one of the criminals, being stupid, uh, fires uh, a gun and shoots and hits the other pilot who's at the controls. Now, the shot awakens Fireman. Uh, Again, I'm not certain uh, if that would work, you know, depending on how far he's under. And I'm also not sure how, being a solid gas, you can actually drug him. But at any rate, he awakes as the plane is going down, and he saves Nancy, and he also saves an old lady on the plane. And he uses powers to uh, extinguish the fire, but everyone is dead. And it turns out the old lady is actually the organizer of the sabotage ring, and lifts up a manhole and crawls into the sewer. And Fireman comes in after them, and the old lady is announcing that because Fireman's onto them, that they're going to disband the sabotage ring, and she's going to kill Nancy in order to cover their tracks. And uh, Fireman confronts the old lady. The old lady pulls a gun on him. Uh, He hits the old lady, and she falls over and sets on fire because uh she is loaded her the dress that she has on is loaded with small but deadly bombs and uh it it turns out afterwards that uh the old lady was actually a man and actually a nazi and that as a woman uh the leader mixed with the wives of government officials got def- defense plans and started fires so the city would be short of firefighters. I, I'm not sure the strategic value to the Nazi uh, cause of that. And Nancy says she assumed that Fireman was 
immune to being drugged because she saw the old lady putting something in Fireman's drink, and Fireman says that he assumed that too. And it's never actually explained how that happened. Then we get to Man of War number two, and this one begins with a truck driver seeing something and crashing into a tree. The police don't understand what he saw, why he crashed into the tree, and Nancy, who works for the police, I think is like a stenographer, uh, goes to Fireman and says that it's a job for him to solve this mystery somehow. And uh, Fireman picks up a hitchhiker, uh, who he describes as poor fatso because nobody wants to come and pick the guy up. And so Fireman picks the guy up, takes him into town where he's looking for a job. And he notices that the hitchhiker has a ring. And apparently in the Fireman universe, all hitchhikers wear rings to indicate that they're hitchhikers. And the uh, driver of this truck also had a ring. And this tells fi- uh, Fireman that, um, that, the re- that the situation is that hitchhikers are being hired to be truckers and then set up to be killed. And so Nancy goes ahead and uh, decides to go undercover. She disguises herself as a male orphan and goes to get, uh, trying to get a job and get the attention of the gang who was kidnapping orphans. However, uh, she's able to maintain her cover and maintain this flawless disguise until the gang realizes uh, she's a girl when she checks herself out in the mirror. The leader of this gang has figured out that the human body can carry fire under terrific speeds. Uh, and they're able to turn a guy into a blazing man. And the blazing man looks like the human torch. And apparently the drivers of the truck see the blazing man. It scares them and they drive uh, trucks off the road. In this case, trucks containing cash, which, uh, he, which he's able to rob. Uh, Nancy, uh, Nancy is in trouble because Fireman, she was expecting him to be there, but Fireman had to go and take care of some fires. But Fireman arrives in the uh, nick of time. And this is fortunate because the, this is the point where the leader's experiment goes totally wrong. And the blazing man actually escapes and kills the leader and is a threat to everyone else until Fireman shows up to fight him. And uh, he, the blazing man, refuses to yield until he does die. And uh, the original scheme apparently was that uh, the blazing man was supposed to be, you know, under control so they would fire... Um, they would f- fire these fire shells at tr- uh, trucks and use it to uh, rob them. And that is The Adventures of Fireman. Well, I have to say, while I like a lot of the ideas of the powers of Fireman, and admittedly his origins are ludicrous, but no more so than most Golden Age stories, I think, and I like Nancy, uh, a very strong uh, uh, character and female supporting character, particularly for the times. The stories themselves, 
lack even the logic of most Golden Age stories. I think nearly every story had just big plot holes in it. Uh, even by the standards of Golden Age comics. And I tend to be pretty tolerant. So I love the character's uh, concept, but the stories are only so-so. But I think this could be a good concept if developed. They didn't do a whole lot with it. Uh, for one thing, uh, just to give you an idea, the character's secret identity is Jim. No last name, just Jim. So we move on to modern comics and Titans Volume 4, Titans Apart. And after the events of the last story and some indications that uh, Donna Troy could become an evil, destructive force named Troya and some problems on the Titans, the Justice League show up and telling the Titans that they are disbanded. The Justice League does not actually have that authority. But they're uh, offering vague threats, that their job is to stand up to threats to Earth, and that could include the Titans. And there is no real reason to actually dismand the uh, Titans in-universe. A dark possible future you, you know, as much as you might think that that is a reason... It's like how many dark possible future members of the Justice uh, uh, League have they met? Or alternate uh, future? I mean, that is just uh, bizarre. Um, and at first, Dick Grayson as Nightwing uh, resist, but then he goes ahead and caves for really weak reasons. And so that gets us into the main story, Titans Apart where Roy Harper is investigating uh, new drugs being released into uh, the city, and he should not be investigating uh, drugs on his own because of his past uh, drug use. It's not a good idea. At the same time, Donna Troy is imprisoned at the satellite uh, for the uh, watchtower for the Justice League, uh, because they want to observe her, but they also want to keep her locked up so that she doesn't become an evil future uh, version of herself. Uh, which is what it comes down to, because essentially they're just kind of keeping her there locked in her room. And uh, essentially, uh, with uh, the Titans disbanded, uh, Wally West and Dick Grayson are hanging out out, although they're not allowed to fight crime because Batman said. And at the same time, while Roy is investigating this new drug, Cheshire comes back into Roy's life. She is a supervillain that Roy has had a relationship in the past. And, uh, it and she, uh, she comes onto him and acts like she wants to help him but actually gets him into a vulnerable position and pumps him full of drugs. And she's doing this at the behest of the Brotherhood of Evil, which is a very old supervillain team, but at this point it's not much of a brotherhood. It's just the brain, which is a brain, and Mala, a French gorilla, who are the only two members of it. 
However, the drugs being taken are draining brain power from the uh, people who take the drugs and transferring it into the brain. And the uh, they plot to take over the world. And uh, in fact, the brain uh, actually has worked out a contingency plan to deal with the Justice League and keeps them all in check. Uh so uh Harper gets in touch with Donna uh and the Watchtower and tells her that he's in trouble. And when Batman who is on uh duty in the Watchtower uh gets uh tangled up, uh Donna escapes and goes back to help Roy. And she also calls in Wally and Dick. Wally and Dick think that Roy has gone back on drugs. And so initially they fight and Donna and Roy manage to beat Wally and Dick and get away to face the Brotherhood of Evil and to deal with the brain. Eventually, though, they do come back together and it's uh, an epic way that they return. The story left me with a lot of mixed feelings. On one hand, I like that it does show the team coming back together and the power of their friendship, and it shows them making mistakes and being willing to own them and this real human relationship. On the other hand, I think the book really struggles to get over the uh, foolish way that the book starts. And the reason the book starts this way doesn't have anything to do with writer Dan Abnett who I think does as good a job as possible. It's a DC editorial mandate that they want to break up the Titans and do something new with the Justice League. And so he's got to write this story and do the best he can. And I I think he does as good as he can. I also think uh, the Brain and Mala just don't make a a big enough threat for this story, uh, for the level of power in it. So while it's not bad, I'm also going to say that it's also not classy. Now we go on to Detective Comics Volume 6 and The Fall of the Batman. And uh, this opens up where the last book left off with Tim Drake having returned. In the meantime, Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. Spoiler, is still talking to anarchy, or at least being open to a reapproachment after, in the previous volume, anarchy was revealed to be behind some really bad stuff. But as soon as she learns that Tim's alive, there's this this great panel where uh, she runs and to meet him, and they embrace and kiss. It's very, very uh, well-done art. Um, I really like that sequence. Uh, And Stephanie thinks that Tim is going to quickly go back to college. But based on what he knows of his future, he really feels trapped. He feels like he cannot go back to college. That if he does, uh, then the dark future he's seen will happen and uh, Bruce will die, and he'll have to take over as Batman. So he wants to modify things and make sure that this whole Batman experiment with this Bat team works. In fact, he is 
so willing to do that that he actually contacts the colony uh, headed by Kathy Kane's uh, father, who uh, in the sec the first volume. Uh, had plans to militarize Batman, and he's wanting to work with them, just wants to get this to work. At the same time, Gotham City has got a new mayor, and he has uh, gotten word that there's this squad of uh, Batman, of uh, Orphan, this entire team under Batman, and he's decided that's essentially a bridge too far. He's okay with one Batman operating in the city. He's not okay with Batman having his own private army, particularly when one member of that team is Clayface, an ex-supervillain. And this is one point where I'm going to harken back to the other issue and say that this is a bit of a problem with DC, is that they have all of these characters who are in so many different comics that they're often not consistent. So you have Batman in Titans telling the Titans they have to disband because they have a dangerous member on their team. While at the same time, Batman is running a superhero team with Clayface on it. Speaking of Clayface, he wants to help out Gloria, um, a woman who he exposed to the stuff that made him Clayface and uh, really ruined her life and her appearances, and she became a criminal and ended up in Arkham. And he is just trying to help her out and actually goes to visit Arkham Asylum and to get her to take this treatment to cure her, to restore her. But the victim syndicate uh, is actually monitoring Clayface. And as soon as he goes in to see Gloria, and Gloria is working with the victim syndicate, and they were introduced back in the uh, second volume of this series. And they are a group that's basically mad at Batman. They have been harmed by supervillains and been caught in the crossfire between Batman and the villains. And they blame Batman for it. And they want Batman to unmask, to reveal himself, and to stop uh, being Batman because it's all his fault, according to them. Well, they've got a lot of sympathizers. Uh, Stephanie Brown actually sympathized uh, with them. And uh, she gave them some pictures and information on the team. Uh, which, when she was being naive and thinking the victim syndicate's got a point, need to help them out, and maybe they're, Batman's all wrong. Um, and so... They have people on the inside in Arkham, and they go ahead and they capture Clayface, and they just begin to beat and torture him until the point where he absolutely uh, will lose it. And they demand that Batman come and surrender himself. And the mayor is very clear that he doesn't want any of Batman's team down there. And Batman promises Cassandra that everything will be okay. Because she and uh, Clayface have become friends. Uh, and it's a really unlikely but also very sweet uh, relationship. He, of course, as Basil, he 
teaches her Shakespeare and they recite it uh, together, which is really interesting because she's traditionally been one of the most non-communicative characters in the DC universe. And so Batman goes in and finds that um, everyone in there is dressed up as the first victim in that costume and the for, and they say you know look we're, you should just surrender unmask because you're going to have to fight all of us and batman's like i planned on that let's let's get on with this um and that's after batman's placed in a lockdown uh so that nobody can leave so he goes ahead and he takes them on the victim syndicate continues to uh, torture Clayface so that he's destabilized and so that he's just totally lost control and become this monster and Batman has to face him. Meanwhile, Kate's dad is approaching her about joining forces with the colony and gives her a weapon that the colony has developed in case uh, Clayface can't be contained any other way. It'll essentially break him apart, uh, break him down, uh, and he will be unable to be reformed. Uh, And at the same time, uh, really where Clayface is going to attack is to the Belfry. So uh, while uh, Batman fights kind of a a, subst- uh, a substitute version of Clayface. Clayface is making his way through the pipes to the Belfry, and um, he attacks there, and uh, Cat- uh, Cassie, uh, orphan, goes and really pleads with him uh, and tries to bring Basil out, and it doesn't quite work. At the same time, Anarchy realizes he's been used and turns on the uh, first victim and uh, ends up bringing uh, the first victim in. But not until they've got to sort out this whole issue with a Clayface. Uh, Batwing sends a fleet of Batman robots to fight. And uh, Dr. October, who's been helping out uh the Batman and treating uh, Clayface uh, gives Cassandra uh, a, a weapon that can be fired, fired that will cause Clayface to contract to human form as Basil. And uh, she is able to do this after Clayface has grown just massively out of control, uh, like to this kaiju size. A monster just wreaking havoc in the city. Uh, but uh, uh, Cassandra is able to uh, give this uh, injection to uh, Clayface, returning him to normal size and human form. And as Basil, he's heartbroken about what has happened and all the people he's hurt, uh, both his... Um, um, friends and uh, 
Cassandra considers them essentially like the same because she was raised uh, to kill and she sees herself and him as kindred and he says, we're not the same. You are really good and I'm not. And it's a very heartbreaking scene as she's trying to get him to stay in human form. But the, uh, but the clay face, uh, monster nature is overtaking him. And it's at that point that Batwoman tells, uh, Cassandra to close her eyes. And she delivers the kill shot to Clayface. And it is just such a very, um, dramatic moment that really just ignites a ton of controversy within the team. Uh, you know, uh, Tim is furious, um, uh, essentially saying it's your job to find a better way. And Cassandra attacks her and because, you know, this was her friend uh, who Batwoman just killed. And, uh, and she said, th- uh, she pointed at the uh, bat symbol on Batwoman's chest and said, this symbol, special, it means you don't kill very simple and it's that point of view and you know i won't say that batwoman's without a point because she made the point that this was necessary to save a lot of lives there was no other plan to control clayface if he got out of control again which it looked like he was going to do but on the other hand there is that obligation and the matter of that code and the more i think about batman's code against killing and i know it is very controversial with many feeling that there are certain villains that batman should just go ahead and kill um i think that the no killing rule actually keeps batman grounded uh and it's really important as in this modern uh age where batman has all of this power and all of these accolades the no-killing rule is a limit on his power. It is a situation where it says you're not God. You're not judge, jury, and executioner. You can't just do whatever you want. Batman simply says to Batwoman, you're excused, and advises her to go away for a few days. Batwing and Azrael actually agree with her and says she saved lives, and Batman says... If you don't agree with what I did, you're free to go too. It's pretty black and white as far as Batman's uh, concerned. Um, but after this, Dr. October does actually give the treatment to Gloria. And it does restore her and she's grateful. But Dr. October says that it's not for Gloria, but rather that this is being done for the sake of a great friend I lost, not you. You took a repentant man and cast him back into hell. Uh, At the same time, Dick ends this really feeling despair and an obsession to avoid the future that he's seen and not knowing how he can do that. And Stephanie leaves because she can't stand what it's doing to him. Meanwhile, Kate's dad encourages her to be Batwoman without Batman's sanction. 
and he's designed a special militarized Batwoman costume for the purpose. This volume also collects the Batman Annual Number 1, which tells how Clayface uh, came to be. How he was the son of a movie star who was advised not to play monsters. Uh, Decided to, but his face ended up getting destroyed in a car wreck. And so he turned to a dangerous uh, chemical uh, called Renew, Uh, which restored his face but began to mess with his mind and would ultimately warp it. He ends up back in the hospital. Eventually, in his drive to get more of it, he is mutated and ends up uh, causing the destruction and ruination of Gloria's life. And so the book really does lay out the whole case for you. And I have to say that I thought this was an outstanding volume. And it addressed some key issues. Now, there are a lot of comics that will kind of pretentiously take on contemporary social issues and political issues in a really ham-fisted way. This book avoids that. And it takes on what I would consider big principled questions as opposed to, you know, the passing political questions of the day. One of the big questions in here is whether we ever forgive. Could someone like uh, Clayface ever be shown mercy, or should vengeance be pursued relentlessly? In the victim syndicate, we get to see a group that has justifiable anger, but acts on it in ways that ultimately lead to more hurt and victimization. It's a really uh, thought-provoking book with some very solid character moments in it. It's a solid story that manages to take on some tough issues without being unrelenting or even unrealistically dark. It really made me feel like reading some of the lesser volumes in this series was worth it to get to this point, and it rewarded me for sticking with it so long. So I'll give Batman Volume 6, The Fall of the Batman, a rating of classy. And to recap now, we give Namor Visionaries John Byrne Volume 2 a rating of classy. It revisited some great eras in the life of Namor, as well as just telling some really fun stories. We give Titans... Volume 4, Titans Apart, a rating of not classy. I think Dan Abnett did his best to uh, make this editorially mandated storyline work, but it ends up a so-so ending for a pretty good Titans series. And finally, we give Batman Detective Comics Volume 6, The Fall of the Batman, a rating of classy. It's a great story, great art, with just some thought-provoking ideas in it that make it well worth a read, along with all of the previous Detective Comics volumes that preceded it. All right, well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email it to me, ClassyComicsGuy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy.com. And rate and review the show on iTunes from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.